Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. On Monday the 19th of July 2021, we announced the winners of the third annual Cambridge Social Innovation Prize, awarded by Trinity Hall and the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. The prize is given to social entrepreneurs who have demonstrated social impact through their ventures and who are bubbling over with ambitious plans for the future. Each winner receives a £10,000 cash prize to be used for their personal and professional development. They are also mentored by our Cambridge Social Ventures team. Winner Kim Griffin is an occupational therapist and the director of Griffin Occupational Therapy. So Griffin OT is a company that is set up to provide affordable, easily accessible uh, supports for educators and parents that support children with additional needs. So I'll take a step back and explain OT because a lot of people haven't come across occupational therapists before and usually uh, they just think that I'm going to help them with their job and I get, oh, I'm not very happy at work. What, What can I do? So occupational therapist, I think, is a very misleading uh job title. We think of occupation more broadly than just work. Anything you do day to day to us is an occupation. So putting your clothes on in the morning, cleaning your teeth, making a cup of tea for us is an occupation. And we can break that down to the nth degree and help you be independent with doing that task. My specialty is working with children. So I am very much looking at play things like handwriting, uh, fine motor skills, general coordination. And over the years, my expertise has moved more into sensory processing. And that tends to be working with a lot of autistic children, but also with children that might have dyspraxia. And what I've aimed to do with Griffin Occupational Therapy, Griffin OT, is to provide the support to those families that is missing. So we provide support to say if a child's struggling with the level of noise in the classroom because they've got some sound sensitivity. I'm aiming to teach parents and teachers that they're not being naughty, that actually their brain is finding that information too overwhelming and that the environment needs to change and maybe they need some ear defenders or sort of noise cancelling headphones to help them to manage. Or that child that's always fidgeting and moving around Actually, it might be that they've got quite poor postural control and that their balance sense needs more movement in order to know where they are. So instead of that child just being naughty and being told to sit still and missing playtime because they didn't sit still, when playtime's actually one thing that's going to give them movement and help them <laughs> to be more alert, I'm trying to educate parents and teachers sort of the... to to look with their sensory goggles and their coordination uh, motor skill goggles to look a little bit further than just seeing behaviour and also to know how they can help their children. So you've taken that step back. How has everything that you've just explained, how did that influence this social enterprise that you created? So my background, uh, I started working in hospitals, I've worked in schools, I've worked in social care, uh, I've, I've worked everywhere, and then I moved into private practice. And 
in the last 10 years, I've really seen an erosion of what the National Health Service is providing. The, there is a huge erosion in especially early intervention services. And I also started doing some work with children with some funding from what's called the Adoption Support Fund. And I was really starting back in 2016 to see a lot of children and families that ordinarily I wouldn't see because I'd moved into private practice. So I was only seeing the children whose parents could afford uh, to come and pay sort of 80, 100, 150 pound an hour for therapy. So I also at the time, there was no easily accessible access to sensory training. It was all face to face. I know this sounds like completely crazy post COVID, but in 2017, when I started, there was no UK based online uh, training that people could do. It was all face to face. There was one company that did most of it and it was sort of 120 pound or so for to go and attend. And to me, that felt too expensive for a lot of families and teachers. So it was a combination of those things that made me think, actually, we can do this differently. Like that universal, like I'm not able to provide specialist support for children that need that higher level of specialist support. So, you know, if there's a child who has cerebral palsy and needs a specific seating system, I can't do that online. But for many of those children who often their parents try to seek help and they're deemed not bad enough because they've got maybe mild what what comparatively is a milder issue but actually for that child it's a significant barrier to them being successful I thought actually I can help these guys because I'm continually repeating the same thing why don't I record myself and make that more widely available? Why don't I start getting some of this information out there in a much more accessible and affordable way for um, educators and families? So that's sort of where my, my journey to setting things up uh, led me to in sort of 2017. And then I've been working and learning lots since then. We cannot escape COVID-19 figuratively and literally uh, at the moment. And so many social enterprises suffered, as did many businesses, as did many individuals, suffer, have suffered over the last 18 months. I'm suspecting that you didn't quite have the same challenges, did you? No, I, I was already online before everybody else was online. So in March, particularly April last year, I saw an absolute explosion in numbers and that was driven in part because a lot of because the schools were closed the um, senior leaders were telling the teaching assistants to go and do as much training as they could do so I had a huge amount of teaching assistants come on board which is fantastic because they especially in mainstream schools are typically the people that are with the child one-to-one all the time so actually they're the ones I need to train in many cases. You know, I can teach the head teacher or the senko, but actually unless the person that's with that child all the time knows, um, it, it's sort of not that much, the, the, there's less value. And I also started doing, I was inspired by Joe Wicks P with Joe. I started doing fine motor with Kim. So I started doing a, a daily fine motor activity, uh, which I did for 10 there's 10 weeks worth on the YouTube channel. So that was sort of just activities that families could do at home. And yeah, so I did, I had a a massive increase and I also, schools were then turning 
to some online training because obviously they all had uh, restrictions on who could come in to do training and things like that. So there was also an increase in schools paying for training as well, which was really exciting. And it, it's it's interesting. I did a I did a um I did a review of my numbers in February last year, and I at my mailing list and things like that and I was like oh no it's fine I'm on the free plan that'll last me with you know the numbers I've got which is about 80 people a month that'll last me till January 2021 don't need to look at that and literally the second week in April I had hit the max on the free plan and over like literally within a week I had to look at completely new software systems and stuff because I just I had almost a year yeah I had 2019's entire signups in one week in April so I just had to totally shuffle um and get that on board but I'm really proud to say that nothing broke and I think that that gave me the confidence that sort of how I had set things up prior to that point was pretty solid because I could have that influx without like I know other companies would have had that level of influx, especially if it was a physical product or something, that level of influx would have caused complete chaos, <laughs> but it didn't. So um, I feel that that made me feel quite proud of myself for the steps I'd taken prior to that. As you say, you went from working within the public sector to being in the private sector and, you know, making a nice little penny there, but, you then decided to make Griffin OT a social enterprise. I know I sound a little bit cynical when I say, but you could have made a fortune out of doing this privately. Why make it a social enterprise? Yeah, and it's a really, really good question. And I still get, um, it, essentially what I've done with my articles of association is I've indexed my pricing to the national minimum wage because the social Thing I wanted to provide was accessibility and affordability and actually one thing so before I won the Cambridge Social Innovation Prize I had support from Cambridge Social Ventures about three years ago now I went through their year-long program and one of the things we had to do initially was sort of define our social mission and get that into our articles and I had some really great discussions around how do you define affordability and in my mind I kind of wanted it to be half of what other people were charging because that seemed like a more affordable option. And I was going to put that like sort of, it will be half the cost of competitors. But one of the guys that was on the training, like on the training with me, Paul, he, I I clearly remember him just looking at me going, that's crazy because then all your competitors have to do is to make their price really low and then they'll drive you out of business before you've gotten anywhere. So I really, like I spent, almost a month trying to figure out like what's a what is the definition of affordability that you me joe down the road sarah in france would come to that would always be consistent and i thought actually if i index it to a multiple of the national minimum wage per hour so it's 1.5 times the national minimum wage per hour and that kind of got me to where i thought was a um, reasonable amount and I'm currently, I don't, I haven't looked at the data yet, but one of my questions on my signups now, which I've had for a couple of months is like, how would you rate the affordability? Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to determine if other people <laughs> sort of agree with my, um, with my definition. Cause you know, it's great that I think that it's affordable, but I need to know that 
the people that are buying it would agree with me. So in terms of the people who are signing up, are you seeing that they're coming to you because they can afford it? Because it is something that not only their family needs, obviously, but that it is not going to mean the difference between paying a bill and caring for their child. I hope so. I haven't got specific data to say that, but what's also happened in the last three years is all of the competitors have dropped their pricing as well. So that makes me quite excited because it means that actually it means that it is, we're making this information more affordable and everybody's gone online. So it's accessible now as well. So I'd like to think that I played a role in, like I know just because I've been involved in stuff, I know that there's other factors at play, but I'd, I'd like to think that I'm one of those factors that sort of drove that shift. You mentioned the Cambridge Social Innovation Prize, which of course is the basis for this particular interview. You've won it. Congratulations. What was it like winning the prize? If I'm honest, it was a little bit of a shock because I didn't think because it's very much focused on sort of leadership and contribution, I still don't have the confidence to sort of think that I am sort of that level of leader, I suppose. So I think for me, it's been a great confidence boost because I know, I know that they only awarded three prizes and they have funding for four. So it was a real confidence boost that actually they really, the judges did think that the work that I'm doing and the growth that I suppose I've had and I know that I've grown hugely like I've I still call myself an occupational therapist first and foremost because that's still my identity but I I definitely have more confidence in saying I'm a director and I'm an entrepreneur which I just I never would have had the confidence to use those terms a couple of years ago so it was surprising but definitely has given me a confidence boost and I'm really looking forward really getting started with the support and um, things like that because I know how helpful Cambridge Social Ventures have been for me previously so I'm really excited about kind of being linked in with them more formally again. So the prize itself is a monetary prize of £10,000 per winner. That £10,000 is to enable you to be the leader that you want to be. What does that mean to you? How do you want to lead? And how do you think this prize will help you achieve that? Again, it's made me reflect a bit on really where I want to go because I was forced to sort of think about how I want to spend the money. So it's made me do that reflection probably a bit more thoroughly than I had. I really want to be in a position where I'm influencing policy and planning in the future. So I think I am making my ground roots sort of attempt to support educators, to support families. But actually I'd like to see things like training about sensory processing in the teaching curriculum for teachers. And I'd really like to see that teaching assistants actually have to do some formal training as part of their induction. So maybe, you know, they they do come in with, Some have great training, others come in with no training. I I would like to argue for a a more structured approach to sort of giving the skills to those staff that need it. And also getting that kind of universal provision actually available to everyone, rather than it being the mismatch that it is, especially in the UK at the moment, 
it's so dependent on your health area and where you are. Like I was just listening to something this morning and Wales has announced this incredible plan to integrate health and social services. And if you live over the border, like literally a mile away, you've got a completely different setup. And I personally think that's crazy. So I'd like to see that that universal services are there. And for me, the way to do that is in the future and I suppose I'm thinking five ten years time is that I'm able to really be in the place to influence policy so one of the things I'm looking at doing with the prize is actually the starting the route to PhD I know that's a long process but I know when I look at all of the people that are informing the parliamentary documents and that are informing the the panels and things like that, they are all, they do have that research base and they either do have a professorship or a doctor or things like that. So I think for me personally as a leader, going that route will give me more credibility, I suppose, in at the level that I'd like to be working at. So that's the long-term future. What's next for Griffin OT? So the next year is very much going to be about bedding down what I've already got. I have spent a lot of time creating content and getting information back and getting feedback in. So the next couple of months is to actually look at the impact and figure out what the strategy needs to be to make that impact even greater. And I've got a couple of ideas for new programs that will move to a more subscription-based model and move to a more helping children directly model. So what I've done, what I've done to date has all been about helping the adults to know how they can help the kids. So I've given the adults information, I've given the adults strategies, I've given the adults the reason behind the strategies, I've given adults kind of templates they can use to monitor effectiveness. The next step for me is to work on content that they can use directly with the children. So I've got a few videos and things like that with cartoons that children can follow in class. Because I do find that um, teachers, they just, they want that thing they can pop on. That's a really quick thing that they can pop on and it will, it will help the children for that period of time. So I've got a few ideas on how to have that more direct impact with the kids as well. So, yeah, sort of bigger strategy and more impact directly with children is the next sort of year and a half, yeah, two years. That was Kim Griffin, director of Griffin Occupational Therapy and winner of the third annual Cambridge Social Innovation Prize awarded by Trinity Hall and the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. You can find out more about the work we do by following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube.